This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. Every podcast has its lost episodes, or at least that's what I'm telling myself. Booking, producing, and hosting a podcast all by yourself is a lot of work, and technical issues can make that especially difficult. I started Theory of Change in 2019, but suspended it in December of that year for about a year and a half due to some problems with my recording and editing setup. In 2021, I brought the show back with a live video setup to help prevent technical problems from blocking episodes from being published. So far, the response has been incredible. We've had hundreds of thousands of downloads since the relaunch. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, watching, and sharing the podcast. I'm especially grateful to the people who are supporting Theory of Change and our new Flux.community website on Patreon. If you can afford it, we can really use your help with a monthly contribution. Just go to patreon.com slash discoverflux. Thanks so much. Since bringing the podcast back, I have also wanted to publish two episodes of the program that got lost in the editing bay. Today's broadcast is based on a December 14, 2019 conversation that I had with Aaron Smith of the Pew Research Center about a study that he and his colleagues released examining the social dynamics of Twitter and how much of the discussion that takes place is dominated by a small number of accounts. The study had some other important findings as well, including differences between people who use Twitter for political news and people who do not. I felt like the study, which is linked in the show notes, is so important and still relevant that I rescued the episode from a crashed laptop and am presenting it today. I hope you'll like it, and my apologies for the delay. So why don't you just start off with saying the couple of top-line headlines out of the report you just produced. Sure. So the report that we did was looking at the behavior of U.S. adults on Twitter. I can talk about how we did that and and how we were able to to isolate U.S. adults from the broader Twitter population. But the basic idea was to get a sense of how prevalent uh, discussion of national politics is by actual Americans who have public accounts on Twitter. And what we found was that, number one, discussion of those issues is rather rare. The median American uh, on Twitter has not tweeted at all about national politics in the last year. And just 13% of all the tweets that we examined from the folks in our sample related to national political issues. So in one sense, it's a fairly rare occurrence for people to directly um, engage with national politics on the platform. The other major finding we found was that a fairly small uh, share of users is driving the majority of conversation about national political issues. And to put some specific numbers on that, 97% of the tweets that we categorized as being related to national politics came from the most active 10% of users, and just 6% of users produced almost three quarters of all the tweets in our sample. So there's a very active end of the political tweeter spectrum who behave in very interesting ways and produced the overwhelming majority of tweets about this issue from U.S. adults on the platform. Uh huh. And had you guys done any comparisons or analyses of other social media platforms besides Twitter? So for this particular study, we have not. And I'll give a little bit of both uh, sort of 
sociological and a methodological reason for, for why that is. The research-based reason why we focused on Twitter is that although only one in five Americans are, are Twitter users, it obviously has a fairly outsized role in the political ecosystem. Everyone from politicians to media outlets and advocacy organizations are using the platform to um, spread their message and get the word out about what they're doing. So in that sense, it fits well with the uh, nature of a study focused on national politics. In terms of the methodological reasons why we focused on Twitter, one, one important difference about Twitter in, in relation to a lot of other social platforms is, is that it's open. Twitter has a public API that allows you to look at public tweets from its users. Many other platforms are much more locked down and as a result, a lot of the uh, social science research around um, how people behave on social media platforms has focused on Twitter, both for um, practical, legal, and ethical reasons around using some other platforms. So there were a couple of different reasons why we, we chose to focus on Twitter users for this particular study. Okay. And so when you talk, though, about the outsized impact of Twitter on the political dialogue in the country. Can you give a little bit more detail in terms of how or why? I mean, I think everybody listening to this show would agree with that statement, but do you have any stats or numbers that can describe how outsized the impact is? I, I don't know if I have any sort of specific data points. I think you can look at the number of people who follow various political figures, certainly the extent to which the political media landscape is seemingly fixated on Twitter at all times is, is sort of an, an anecdotal example of that. I, I think that the common perception is that there's just a lot of politics happening on the platform. And I think one of the interesting findings of, of this study is that for the majority of actual Americans who are on Twitter, national politics is a relatively small portion of their overall production of tweets. And they seem to be more focused on issues other than that. Okay, and what were some of those other issues they were focusing on? So we were basically focused on classifying political tweets and, and didn't get too far into classifying other types of content. We saw lots of people talking about things like sports, for instance, but didn't explicitly classify those into, into categories beyond trying to identify the people who were tweeting about politics. And I think that's one thing that we've talked about doing internally is taking a look at the, the people who aren't tweeting about politics and, and seeing what it is that interests them. But this particular study was specifically looking at the people who are tweeting about national politics and, and what they look like and how they behave. Okay, so then just to get to those specifics and who's doing it, there are a number of interesting findings that you had here. And one of them that stands out to me is that there, there was a pretty large age difference with older Twitter users much more interested in politics compared to those who were not quite as old. Absolutely. And so I can put some context on that for your listeners. As you noted, relatively few older Americans are Twitter users. So only about 8% of U.S. adults uh, on Twitter are um, over the age of 65. They don't produce a huge volume of tweets in general. So that 8% of users produce 10% of all the tweets that we collected, but they focus very disproportionately on national political issues. So that 8% of users who produce 10% of, of all the tweets in our sample produced 33% of all the tweets mentioning national politics. So even though older Americans are, are not heavily represented on the platform and don't tend to tweet very actively, to the extent that they do tweet, they are heavily focused on national political issues. As you might imagine, the, the reverse is true of, of people who are younger. So 18 to 29 year olds are 30% are of users. They produce 20% uh, of the tweets that we analyzed, but only 4% of the tweets mentioning national politics came from those users. So just as older users sort of over-focus on national politics, younger users tend to focus relatively less in comparison. Yeah. And those tendencies 
do kind of track with other research that has tested political interest and participation across age groups as well, right? It, that that's correct, and, and I will say that there's also there there may be a definitional issue here as well. We had a very specific way of of men- measuring tweets about national politics, which involved things like mentioning sort of specific political parties, members of Congress, national political leaders, sort of engagement with the national political process in a very explicit way. And so uh, I expect that one thing we may be capturing here is that. Younger folks may simply be talking about politics in a slightly different way. Uh, they may be you know, using more humor or sarcasm or irony in a way not as easily captured by a machine learning algorithm. But nonetheless, I, I think the broader point is very correct, which is that to the extent that, that other folks have looked at this, they have also found that older users on, on a variety of platforms tend to be more focused on explicit political activism and um, issue discussion than younger users. Yeah. Now, I noticed in the report that there was not a discussion of racial demographics of political tweeters. What was the reasoning behind that? In part, there were some sample size issues there that just limited our ability to analyze certain groups. And we found the age and political attitudes differences to be especially relevant. A lot of times in, in our reports, we tend to not walk through every single finding if they're not that interesting. And so these were sort of the most, the salient differences that we found were particularly notable in the cases of age and of partisan affiliation and and political attitudes. Okay. Well, do you have, I didn't see the raw data published on this report because there has been some research from other organizations looking at how political Twitter users tend to be more likely to be European American compared to African American or Asian American. And and so certainly having a sample size of what was like 2,400 or so would make it difficult to ascertain behavior of Asian Americans or Hispanics or African Americans. But I'm just curious, what was the percentage, if you have that off the top of your head, of the users who were white, who were political? I I don't have it off the top of my head. I I don't recall there being any dramatic differences around that. But again, once you start cutting down from Twitter users to people who tweet to people who tweet about politics, your ability to compare across groups gets relatively small. But I, I don't recall there being any dramatic differences around those groups, from what I recall. Okay. And so let's maybe step back and talk about the methodology here. How were you able to determine how old these Twitter people were? And how were you cross-referencing it once you just talked a little bit about how you were doing that? Sure. So obviously, one of the challenges of just looking at content on Twitter is that you don't have any idea who anybody is. There are a lot of individuals, but there are also institutions. There are automated accounts. There are people with multiple accounts. There are people who use pseudonyms. And so there's very little you can glean about the nature of any individual account from just looking at what they post in their little bio page on Twitter. So the way that we were able to link these Twitter accounts to actual human beings is that we started with a survey. So my organization does lots of surveys of U.S. adults. And so for this particular project, we started with a uh, survey of U.S. adults who told us that they used Twitter. And so basically what we did is we asked them a very traditional survey about who they are, what their demographic characteristics are, how they feel about a variety of issues. 
Um, and as part of that survey, we asked them to tell us their Twitter handle so that we could look at the content of their tweets and um, compare it to their survey responses. Some people said that they didn't want to give us their handles. Some of them who did either um, gave us accounts that didn't exist or that were private, and so we couldn't look at people with, with private accounts. But about uh, 1,700 or so gave us a valid handle that was publicly available. And so from there, we had both the content of their tweets that was available to the public and could match that with the survey responses that they gave us about their demographic characteristics and their attitudes about the issues of the day. And so I think that's one of the unique contributions that I think we're making here with this piece of research is being able to sort of step back from the broader tumult on Twitter and be able to really isolate the behaviors and characteristics of actual U.S. adults who we have a great deal of information about and see what it is that they're saying and how they're behaving uh, within the context of this particular issue. Okay, and then how did you guys determine what a political tweet was? So the first thing I should say is that when we took all of the tweets, we measured them for a period of a year, from six months prior to November of last year to six months after November of last year. And once we collected all of the tweets from those 1,700 plus Twitter users, we had about 1.1 million tweets. Obviously, even with a, a lot of interns, uh, that's a lot of tweets to go through. And so what we decided to do was build a, a machine learning model that would identify tweets about national politics automatically. So we would train them to identify them, and then the machine could go out and, and classify the rest. And so the way that we explicitly defined national politics were as tweets that mentioned or expressed support or opposition for national politicians or elected officials, political parties, ideological groups, or political institutions, uh, or specific behaviors like voting. So generic mentions of topics like education, for instance, and didn't mention you know, sort of other topics of you know, potentially national interest unless they were explicitly involving those sorts of institutions and, and, and entities. So it's really a, a very sort of explicit mention, national issues and actors in a way that can be sort of counted up and tallied. As I mentioned before, it also, I, I think, doesn't capture things like, like sarcasm or sideways allusions to things that, that might be political. So uh, a very sort of explicit, tangible mention of the political issues and actors of the day was what we were really focused on. One of the things that you guys mentioned that was certainly interesting was that a majority of the people who were writing about President Trump in political tweets were people who disapproved of him. And depending on what the topic area was, it was a strong ratio. So um, just looking at it here, the share of the users, Twitter users, period, 55% of them strongly disapproved of Trump, 12% somewhat disapproved of the president, and then only 29% approved of him in some way or another. And that's just of Twitter users who were in the sample entirely. Yeah, and so I should note here that we're not explicitly referencing tweets about President Trump. So this is just the share of users tweeting about national politics. And so there's a similar story happening with, as what we talked about happening with age a moment ago. So if you look at just the overall composition of, of Twitter as a platform, just like you can break that out by age and see that there are more young people than old people just on the platform in general, because we had asked people in the survey about their presidential approval ratings, we could see how the composition of the platform as a whole breaks out by their approval of President Trump. What you get when you look at that is that about 55% you know, 
of U.S. adults on, on Twitter say that they um, strongly disapprove, 15% say they strongly approve, and the rest are, are somewhere in between. The share of all the tweets about any topic produced by those groups, the vast majority are, are created by the, the large share who strongly disapprove. And then when you look at tweets mentioning national politics, about three quarters come from people who strongly disapprove of the president. A quarter come from those who strongly approve. The people who don't feel strongly one way or the other are, are a negligible component of um, the overall world of people who tweet about national politics. And so there, there's two things to take from that. The broader takeaway is that the, the people at the polls, whether that's people who strongly disapprove or strongly approve, are producing the, the vast majority of tweets explicitly mentioning national politics. The people who don't have a strong opinion produce very little. And although obviously three quarters of tweets about national politics in our sample came from those who strongly disapprove of the president, those people do make up more than half of um, the overall Twitter pool. By the same token, people who um, strongly approve of the president make up 15% of the overall pool, but produce 25% of the tweets about national politics. So both of those groups in a certain sense over-index in terms of their contribution to the broader pool of political tweets relative to their presence in the Twitter pool as a whole. So that's the broad takeaway there. The, the majority of tweets related to national politics come from people who, who feel very strongly about the president. And in many ways, that's just kind of a proxy for, I think, their intensity of feeling for politics in general. To the extent that people don't feel that strongly one way or the other, they're generally not speaking out about this topic in a meaningful way. Yeah, and the behavior here that is being observed, it, it, it kind of matches similarly to what you see in older research about television news ratings. So, like, for instance, when Barack Obama was the president, Fox News had higher ratings compared to when George W. Bush was the president. And then the opposite is true of MSNBC. They had much higher ratings during Bush than they did during Obama. And then similar effects have been seen with magazine subscriptions, political magazine subscriptions, the opposite party out of the White House. Those types of magazines tend to have higher subscription ratings. In fact, Victor Navasky, who used to be the editor and publisher of The Nation, which is a, a left-wing magazine, would jokingly sometimes say that what is good for the nation is bad for the nation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> referring to his own publication, of course. And so I think this is yet another instance where we're seeing that American politics is highly, that there's a strong negative partisanship at work here. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So I, I think there, I would add two things to that. One is which the physical act of going on a social media platform and tweeting at a politician or tweeting about an issue that's important to you implies a certain intensity of view. And so I think what we're capturing here is, is one proxy of that, that the, the people who feel most intensely about political issues, whether it's the president or otherwise, tend to be the people who are, are driving the, the political conversation. Certainly the notion that there's a, a negative partisanship effect at play here comes through in this work as well. If you look at political tweeters in comparison to other types of Twitter users, um, particularly the most active political tweeters, they are more likely to say that the people that they follow on Twitter share their political views, and they are also more likely than to say that they have very cold feelings towards members of the other party. So there's a few different ways in which that, that negative partisanship effect seems to be showing up in, in this data as well. Yes. And just for way of background, in your polling, what was the percentage of people among all adults who were surveyed who approved of the, and disapproved of the president? 
So I believe that by in, in that case, we were just looking at, we were actually just looking at Twitter users in this particular study. So we didn't do a, a general population component. We were specifically um, looking at Twitter. I can go find the closest approximation of our approval number for the GP, but I don't have it off the top of my head. I apologize. I, I have to presume that in doing this study, it probably inspired you to come up with some other topics that uh, may are related to this. Is that right? Oh, ab absolutely. I suspect you'll be seeing a lot more examination of political behaviors on social media as we enter election season in earnest. <laughs> oh, in what ways, if you want to say? So just to give you a, a couple of ideas that you know immediately came to mind, I don't know that we'll necessarily choose to do them, but I think one example is other types of political tweeting. So there's, I think particularly among younger adults, there's uh, a lot of behavior on social media that isn't explicitly political, but that uh, has a political valence. There's nothing about that tweet or that conversation that would appear explicitly political to a machine learning algorithm or even someone who doesn't know anything about U.S. politics, but clearly there's a political viewpoint being expressed in things like that. So being able to examine other types of political behaviors on social media that don't involve explicit mentions of issues and, and politicians would be extremely interesting. We're very interested in looking at the extent to which people's expressed opinions on Twitter matched with the views that they give us in surveys around things like immigration or abortion, for instance. I think there's a lot of work to be done on seeing whether, to the extent that people feel strongly about things, which ones will they and will not they talk about on social media platforms. And to give you a, a third one, I I think one of the other interesting questions we'd like to do is, is to dig into the fairly sizable majority of Americans who, who are not tweeting about politics and, and seeing what it is that's grabbing their fancy, whether that's that sports or, or other issues. Uh, I think digging more deeply into that would be extremely interesting as well. No, that all sounds very fascinating. One thing that I think might be interesting for you guys to do as well, since you're collecting this data, is to look at expressions of religious sentiment. Because one thing that I've noticed when I look at the numerous Twitter accounts that I happen to scroll through over the months and years is that Republican tweeters, Twitter users are significantly more likely to put Bible verse citations in their profiles or use a little Arabic symbol for Christian or just say Christian in their profile. And I would be curious to see what percentage of them are engaging in that sort of behavior. That's a very good idea. We've, we've definitely had uh, discussions around that as well. Yeah, I think that in terms of understanding what is motivating partisans to go one way or the the other, I think the religious variable has been underexamined, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that's a, a great area of, of inquiry. Okay, great. Well, so let's maybe then talk about also just going back to some of the findings. One of the other things that you discovered was that political tweeters were more likely to follow accounts who they said agreed with them. Talk a little bit about how that manifested across partisan affiliation. Absolutely. So in, in general, yeah, as you said, what we found was that overall, if you ask Twitter users whether the accounts they follow have similar or different political beliefs from them, uh, a quarter say that they have uh, similar views, 4% say that those people have different views, and the rest say they either have a mix of beliefs or they just don't have any idea what the beliefs 
uh, the political beliefs of their Twitter followers are. If you look at political tweeters versus other types of Twitter users, political tweeters are about twice as likely to say that the people they follow have similar beliefs to them. And that trend generally holds up across both Republican and Democratic political tweeters, although the absolute difference is not the same. So Republican political tweeters are about twice as likely as other Republican tweeters to say that. Democratic political tweeters are about twice as likely as other Democrats to say that. Again, I think this gets into somewhat of the negative partisanship echo chamber, just simple facts that these are fairly heavily politically active people and in some ways kind of constructed their networks to give them the things that they're interested in looking for. But certainly the notion that political tweeters are are more likely to follow like-minded people is, is something that comes through very clearly. Yeah. Well, and it was also, there is somewhat of a difference if you see in the numbers that Republican political tweeters and non-political Republicans overall seem to be somewhat more inclined to follow accounts that do not necessarily agree with them. So just looking at the top line among Republicans, 15% said they follow similar belief accounts and 31% of Democrats said they follow similar accounts. And that, sure. and, and then that bifurcation continues to exist among political tweeters as well. Yes. So is that, and it's hard to draw inference from this sort of raw data collection because the fact is that as the other numbers showed, the number of people who have Democratic or Trump disapproving beliefs on Twitter are much larger than those who approve of him. So is the Republican tendency to follow disagreeing accounts. Is that just simply a function of that there are not as many Republican accounts? Or is it that Republicans are just more likely to be interested in dissenting opinions? Tough to say. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we were sort of, I think you could look at it both ways, but certainly the notion that within both parties, the political tweeters are the ones who are sort of explicitly orienting their feeds around people with explicitly similar views that seem to us to be the more, uh, to be the kind of the salient finding there. To the extent that people are interested in politics, they don't necessarily want to go out and listen to people yelling about (laughs) the side that they belong to. They would generally prefer to be hearing from folks who are on their side, although certainly there are differences uh, across parties, even within the political Twitter universe. Yeah. Well, and there do seem to be some cross-partisan differences also in terms of reception of the other party in that Democrats who are non-political tweeters, 47% of them said they had very cold opinion of Republicans, whereas non-political Republicans, only 34% of them said that. But at the same time, but at the same time, the political tweeters who are Republicans and the political tweeters who are Democrats are are much more closely similar to each other in that regard. 51% of political Republicans said they had a negative opinion and 54% said they were very cold among Democrats. So among the less politically interested across partisans, that that was a pretty interesting dichotomy there, I thought. Uh, absolutely. And there's certainly some, some noise within these numbers and the story isn't always entirely clear. But yeah, because we were particularly interested in this for this particular piece of research in, in focusing on the, the political tweeters, that, that's why we chose to, to kind of highlight those differences. But certainly across parties within the political tweeter universe, but then also across parties themselves, there are definitely differences on some of these questions as well. Uh-huh. And why don't we talk also about one of the other findings, which is belief in news that people obtain from social media sites. And maybe if you want to talk about the, this report's finding on that subject and then also some of the other earlier research that uh, you guys had done on that similar topic. Sure. So one of the things that we find when we 
ask people who use social media or get news on social media what they think of the news and information they're getting on social media. They tend to think it's not very accurate and they don't trust it, which sort of makes us wonder why they're there in the first place, but that's a separate question. But in this particular uh, study, 57% of all U.S. adults on Twitter say that they expect the news stories they get on social media to be largely inaccurate. Just 41% say that they expect them to be largely accurate. Those numbers are generally about in line with what we found in um, other surveys on this topic. So in our uh, most recent general public survey of this, we found that an identical number, 57% of social media news users expect that the news that they're getting on social media is going to be largely inaccurate. So this is something that is a longstanding trend, is not necessarily unique to Twitter, and again, makes us wonder a little bit why these folks are doing this if they don't think it's accurate and and don't necessarily trust it, but it's it's certainly a persistent trend that we've seen across uh, a number of different ways we've asked about this question. Okay, so how does the skepticism about accuracy from news on social media from Twitter users, how does that compare to users of other platforms? Yeah, so that was the data point I just mentioned. So we've only asked a general question of people who say they ever get news from any social media platform. So we don't have comparable numbers for, say, Facebook or Instagram or or specific platforms. But in terms of just social media news consumers in general, I actually looked up the the numbers before I came on this show. And an identical 57% of Americans who get news on social media in general say they largely expect the news stories they get there to be inaccurate. So again, this is an issue that is, is very well in line and in fact, exactly in line down to the point with other ways we've asked this question. And I don't know quite how to explain it, but it's something that's been fairly persistent across a number of ways that we've asked about this issue. Okay, and there also are some partisan differences on this as well. Democrats in the sample were basically split 52% said largely inaccurate and 47% said largely accurate, whereas Republicans were pretty overwhelmingly in agreement with the idea that it was largely inaccurate. So 67% of Republicans said it was largely inaccurate, whereas only 31% said accurate. That was an interesting difference there as well. But dovetails also with other studies that have shown more skepticism toward media accuracy among Republicans. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think those are fairly well in line with uh, general skepticism by that group about a lot of institutions, media and otherwise, but but certainly uh, comes up here as well. Yeah. Now, I noticed on these that you guys did not provide breakdowns for people who did not lean to either party. I guess that was a sample size issue. So generally, in large part, we typically collapse leaners when they look like the the stated partisans. And so in in a lot of these instances, the, the leaners and the stated partisans don't look particularly different, in which case it's just it's a lot easier to collapse them down and just include everybody together. Oh, yeah. No, I'm saying the people who are not saying that they lean one way or the other. I mean, that's a small number, certainly. Yes, it was. Uh, Yeah. And yeah, in in most instances, it wasn't particularly interesting. And also once we you started breaking that fairly small group down by political tweeters and and other types of tweeters, yeah, just didn't have the the sample size to, to say a great deal about them. Yeah. Now, there were some interesting differences of opinion among Democrats on this subject. People who were Democrats leaning or or identified as Democratic. The majority of them who were political tweeters, 54% said that it was largely accurate, whereas 45% said inaccurate. And then among the non-political Democrats, 62% said largely inaccurate, and only 37% said largely accurate. I think that was a fascinating divergence of opinion there. 
It, it is, and I, I have to say, we, we don't quite know what to make of that. As you can see, that, that those numbers kind of bounce around between the political tweeters, the, the people who tweet but not about politics, and the people who, who just simply don't tweet that much. I, I don't have a great explanation for why that's happening, but certainly there's less consistent skepticism of news on social media among Democrats based on their, their tweeting behavior than there is among Republicans. And so I don't know if that's a function of how Republicans view these issues more broadly or specific differences among Democrats based on their Twitter behavior. And unfortunately, that's as far as we can take that. But certainly there's a lot less consistency among Democrats along that metric uh, relative to Republicans. Yeah. And, and I think it may have something to do with whatever political typology that they might be classified into. I, I just love those surveys that you guys produce on those. Well, and, ho you. and hopefully some social media usage can be included among that as well, just to sort of suss out which groups are using which social channels. I think that would be very interesting research. Absolutely. And then just to go back to what you were saying about why are people who think the news they're getting on social is inaccurate, well, then why are they there? That's actually a question I would love to have them answer. <laughs> because I think as Twitter has become more ingrained in partisan subcultures, I think that there's a large degree of a relatively large number of people who are on the platform as a means of doing activism. So to challenge a politician that they don't like or to promote politicians that they do or to push back against ideas that they find to be loathsome or untrue. And so that might be a reason for people to utilize Twitter, even if they don't necessarily think it's credible. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I said, this is something that that by no means is, is localized to Twitter in, in many ways, in a variety of ways that we ask about you know, people's opinions of social media, whether it's its impact on society or the ways that they handle user privacy or the accuracy of the news there, they generally give fairly negative views. And yet usage of many of these platforms continues to, to go up. And we certainly don't see any meaningful declines in the share of Americans who, who use most of these platforms. So certainly a conundrum and, and one that I think we'd uh, like to try and unpack a little bit more moving forward. Yeah. Now, in terms of the perceptions of accuracy, you guys did not do a breakdown on age for that. What was the reason for that? We were just more interested in the partisan and and political tweeting question. I'll be honest, I don't remember off the top of my head what the crosstabs on that one were. And so I will refrain from saying whether it was there was no difference in it. Uh, just wasn't worth highlighting or if there were some small differences, but the, the political differences were more salient. But yeah, the partisan differences certainly were especially notable in, in that instance. Yeah. Well, and I think the intra-democratic differences also may sort of dovetail with some other things that have been observed within Democratic primary polls, and you guys are not doing those, but there has been some research looking at how people who are more inclined towards social media usage tend to have more liberal, further left positions than those who are not on social as much. And so this may simply be a function of that, that the people who have more centrist Democrats may have less trust in social media. That might be simply what it is. That's certainly a possibility. Unfortunately, a little beyond the scope of this particular effort. True, true. All right. Well, now in terms of the, the research for this, people can find it up on the peoplepress.org website. You could also, pewresearch.org is probably a little bit easier. Uh, 
Okay, great. And uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, how would they do so? They can follow me at Aaron underscore W underscore Smith. I will warn them ahead of time that it has been a long time since my last tweet. I'm much more of a much more of a lurker than a poster. So my personal profile is not terribly exciting, but I'm always happy to have people chime in. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Thanks for listening today. Theory of Change is made possible thanks to people like you. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a nice review. That actually is really helpful. And if you really want to support the show, please click on one of the donating links that are in the show notes. High quality content doesn't create itself, so you can really do something great from my standpoint by showing financial support. Theory of Change is part of the Flux Media Network. We're a new media organization providing in-depth podcasts and articles about politics, religion, media, and technology. The website address is flux.community. And if you'd like to visit the Theory of Change section, just go to theoryofchange.show and you'll go right to the episode archives. I'm Matthew Sheffield. Let's do this again.